For the next hour, you'll be leaving the show me state and entering the show me the money state. So stop what you're doing, grab a pen, and get ready to learn. Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group will be your guide for straight talk and honest answers about living the life you deserve in retirement. So So prepare prepare to to be empowered. Now, here are your Show Me The Money hosts, Randy Floyd, Jake Floyd, and Jeff Shade. Good morning and welcome to Show Me The Money with Jake Floyd, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name is Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions, but of course, the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. Jake, how you feeling this fine fall morning? I'm doing great, Jeff. Thanks for asking. And you know, Jake, this is November already. I don't know. Do I have a defective calendar or something, Jake? It can't possibly be November yet. Wasn't it like two weeks ago we were talking about Groundhog Day and all that sort of thing? Yeah, it seems like uh, it wasn't that long ago, but I do think that the year has just flown by. And I think, you know, before we know it, we're going to be in the Republican primaries are going to be going on here. And I think uh, Iowa's in January 15th or something like that. So, yeah, it's all going to happen fast. You know, there's a lot going on and people, I talk to them all day about current events and what's going on and how it's affecting markets and things. Right. You know, I tell people, I can't tell you what's going to happen, but I can promise you that it won't be boring. That's right. And it'll be here before you know it, too. I mean, here we are about three weeks away from Thanksgiving. Not that many more uh, weeks after that till it's going to be 2024. So let's start off by talking about current events here. And we'll talk about Thanksgiving. We'll talk about the holidays a little bit. Typically, is there what's called a Santa rally, or I'm going to even call it maybe a turkey rally? Are we poised for a rally here just before the holidays, do you think? Yeah, we talked a little bit last week about Santa Rally and exactly what that is. But for those that missed that, um, you know, the technical Santa Rally is from Christmas to New Year's. The market's up about, I think it's like 91 or 92 percent of the time last figuring of that number. But sometimes we have a negative September, a negative October, and the market's just kind of due for a correction back to the upside. And I think that given the positioning of the overall market, hedge funds, you know, the quote unquote smart money, as Mm -hmm. uh, Wall Street likes to call them, you know, because they're quite a bit off sides to safety side right now, it leaves some room for if we get a couple of good news pieces where things can start running up, causing a lot of pain for these hedge fund managers and things, causing them to buy more and buy more and it runs more and it can kind of get away from us to the upside. And I think the setup is there for that if we get a little bit of good news here. And, you know, people are like, well, what could be good news that you're referring to? So, you know, good news could be a different president, you know, would be would be right. uh, maybe great news. Maybe that doesn't fall under good news. But I think that, you know, the economy, the war front on all these different conflicts that are going on and potential conflicts that are not yet going on, you know, corporate earnings and that kind of thing, all those things go up into determining the value of stocks and, over, and the overall level of the stock market. And so if we have some of those things start to shift, the market can begin to violently price those things in, either good or bad. But I think that a lot of bad news is priced in. And so we're we're thinking we're setting up probably for a rally here in the in the not too distant future. Jake, for those people who are stockholders here in the last basket of sanity, just everyday people who have a little stock here and there, how should they react to this news of a possible Santa rally? I mean, should they get excited about it? Is there anything that they should do? I would think that if prices go up, it's a selling opportunity, not necessarily a buying opportunity. What's your opinion on that? 
You know, Jeff, that's hard to say. Um, I think, you know, everybody's different. Everybody has different goals and all that kind of thing. When we get on here and we talk about what we think is coming, you know, you can kind of use that information as you will. But it is also just to kind of let you know that we're paying attention and we're watching this stuff. You know, our primary job here is to manage retirement assets and manage people's investments for them. And so I think the vast majority of people have an advisor that is very inactive or a buy and hold type thing, which is kind of the excuse they give for just not really doing much in the in the portfolio but if they are not reacting to things and they are not changing your investments based on the environment we're probably you know leaving some money on the table or at least exposing you getting exposed to risk that you may not need to be exposed to otherwise by just simply trying to have a one size fits all people in a one size fits all situations approach and and that's just not kind of that's not how we do things. But as far as what you should do f with this information, you know, that's going to vary from person to person quite a lot. But I think you can make the case that we could get into the new year. And if the right thing happens in the presidential race, we get a new president. Certainly if Trump gets in, you know, again, regardless of how you feel about Trump, he will be pro-business, lower taxes, uh, lower corporate taxes, and kind of grease the wheels of business. The market will soar if Trump gets in. Even if it starts to look like Trump may get in, the market may start going up and we may not get another bite at the apple. So I don't know that now is the time to buy and then sell at the end of the year. I would, I would say that as we see weakness, we're building a position because we think five to 10 years from now, the market will be much, much higher. And we don't want to miss that boat by trying to get cute, mitigating a small downside. We want to make sure that we're aboard the train. So what we're doing is when there is weakness in the market, we are really wanting to use that as an opportunity to buy when things are on sale and build long-term positions in certain spots in the market that we think are, are ready to appreciate quite a bit. And Jake, based on the conversation, I think you're making an argument against doing it yourself because there at Void Financial Group, you've got your eyes on what's happening in the market every day. As you said, there's no one-size-fits-all portfolio. That really is, I think, one of the big advantages. And I want you to explain a little bit more about how you actually monitor what's going on in the markets and in the economy. You do it every day, but sometimes you will do it by the hour. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's important to say that, you know, we're not changing portfolios hour by hour, right? But sometimes there is a lot going on in the, in the world, as I'm sure a lot of people are aware, there's a lot going on right now. And if we're not paying attention, we can get you know hurt by different events that are going on, or we can miss opportunity if we're not paying attention. So I think you know if you hire someone to manage your money, you want them to be paying attention, not at the golf course or you know reach out to you once every three or four years or whatever. I think you know you want some more attention, but you also just want to know that he is watching and paying attention, he or she has your best interest at heart and is willing to do what's necessary to keep an eye on things because that's what you're trusting them to do. And I think with some financial advisors, once they have made the sale, so to speak, I mean, they've got you, they've got your money, they've developed a plan for you. It's sort of a set it and forget it type of thing. I mean, they really are not looking at what's going on and making those changes with your plan like you do there at Floyd Financial Group. So when you talk about Floyd Financial Group actually manages your money, I think that's kind of unusual, Jake. You know, it shouldn't be unusual, Jeff, but it is certainly not the norm. I don't know what the percentage of financial advisors in the greater Springfield area is that actually makes their own financial decisions for their clients, meaning they don't farm out the management either to a mutual fund or a third-party asset manager. 
but it's not very many, maybe 5%, maybe less, I don't know. But I think that you know the vast majority of models are set up where you come in, you see the advisor, you say, hey, will you manage this money for me? They charge you a fee, but then they just turn around and farm it out to somebody else right. and pay them mm-hmm. with your money, right? right. So they, they don't pay it with the fee that you paid them. They charge you more fees to pay the other people. Right. So the question is, is if that guy's not going to actually manage your money, then why do you need that guy? And the answer is, I don't know that you do. You know, um, there's an old saying in business that the middleman makes all the money, right? right? And so what we want to do is minimize the amount of people getting paid out of your portfolio because that will maximize your returns in the long term and just simply have that much more money. So paying less in fees is definitely a major goal of what we do here. And, you know, unless you're doing it yourself, you're going to find that we're many times the, the low cost provider here. And, and that's by design because we want to we want to make sure that we're doing the very best we can for our clients. And we believe that starts with charging reasonable fees and not charging more than we have to. We're talking with Jake Floyd here of Floyd Financial Group. And this is our first segment where we usually talk about current events. Before we end up this first segment, uh, Jake, I want to talk a little bit about taxes. I mean, we are in an extreme debt situation. National debt is over $32 trillion. Taxes are going to really only go one way. Yeah. So, I mean, we can't continue to spend unlimited amounts of money and continue to collect less and less dollars. So, yeah, I don't know that the tax rates need to go up, although I think you're probably right. They probably will. I think we just need to actually stop spending money on a bunch of crap that we don't need. You know, it's like, you know, it's like a personal budget, for example, right? Most people make enough money to keep the wolf away from the door and make ends meet. It's the frivolous purchases that people make that get them into trouble. And I think that goes like quadruple for our government, where (laughs) if you look at the if you look at the line items of the things that they're spending money on, some of it is evil, but a lot of it is just downright stupid. And, you know, if we actually spent money on things we needed to and tried to cut out some of the things that we don't need, I think we could cut spending by half or more, uh, which would be probably a better scenario than trying to squeeze more blood out of the turnip, if you will, uh, by raising tax rates on individuals. But I think it's likely that taxes probably do go up at some point. I would say, you know, again, it depends on who gets in as president. I'd say Trump will definitely try to lower taxes. I think DeSantis would try to lower taxes. I think Vivek would try to lower taxes. But, you know, if we get more of Biden or, you know, a Newsom presidency, hopefully, heaven forbid, you know, they're definitely going to want to try to raise taxes. So it's good to have an eye toward both. But, you know, protecting yourself against the future is always a good thing. Yeah. And tax planning, Jake, that's a very important part of any financial portfolio. And again, to use an analogy about silly spending, I could get financed for the top of the line Mercedes Benz. I could go do that. I'm not going to do that because the wise thing yeah. to do would be to keep the old Subaru Crosstrek, which is a you know, wonderful vehicle. It gets me where I need to go and it's reliable and so forth. So yeah, unfortunately, many times uh, the people in charge of our government spending do not have basically their uh, math skills in order there. We're talking with Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. Our program, of course, is called Show Me the Money. We're here for you on the radio every week for your fiscal fitness and your financial education. Based on our conversation this morning, Jake, I think a lot of people may have some questions that you've got some answers to. So if you're one of those people, we invite you to get in touch with us at Floyd Financial Group and request your retirement review. You can get it by calling 417-889-7233. It's 417-889-7233. Now, when you call, you'll get a friendly voice, more than likely Ashley, who will gather some very basic information from you then set you up with a conversation with Jake or Randy to create a path towards a successful retirement. 
But remember, it's not going to cost you a dime, but it could uncover some blind spots that when addressed could improve your retirement journey. A retirement, by the way, that you could be in for like 20, 30 years. Again, there's no cost, no obligation. Call 417-889-7233 or you can request your complimentary consultation online at floydfinancialgroup.com. It's floydfinancialgroup.com. Jake, we're going to take a quick break. Our show continues in just a moment right here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. Ready for another helping of some more real money talk? Thought so. Now, here's another serving of Show Me the Money with your hosts, Jake Floyd and Jeff Shea. Welcome back to Show Me the Money. I'm Jake Floyd, and in this segment, we're going to be talking about five passive income strategies that you can use. And Jake, I have always heard that you want to have your money working for you rather than you working for your money. I think that's called a passive income strategy. I've heard some people say, Jake, that, well, there's nothing that is truly passive. You've always got to do a little something. So I want to either validate that myth or dispel it in this part of our program today. So let's talk about the five passive income strategies for investors to understand and whether or not it could be limited to just five. What is the first one? So cash and cash equivalents and deposits is the first one. And I think that, you know, if you're looking for something that you truly don't have to do much with, this would be the closest thing where, you know, cash is back and cash is actually paying some money for the first time in, you know, 15 years or so. You know, interest rates were at zero for so long where you'd have money market accounts paying 0.01 and CDs paying 0.1, where I think a lot of people kind of forgot that it was possible to get paid on cash. And so now you're definitely able to get paid on cash. And if you look around the countryside, it's relatively easy to get paid four to four and a half percent on safe money where you're, you're not going to be putting your money at risk and you don't really have to do anything to keep it going. Money market accounts, money market mutual funds, or short-term CDs, those types of things. I think that's a relatively new experience for a lot of people because it's been so long since interest rates were high enough to yield anything on cash. And the old saying used to be cash is trash, but certainly not that way anymore. So if you deposit a certain amount of money into your bank, you can get as much as 5% interest on that. In some cases, a little bit more. I have seen these come on rates that are like 9%. What do you make of these 9% interest rates that are in these ads? I, that can't be true. Yeah, so a lot of times when you see those really high rates, they're limited to like, if you read the fine print, it'll say, you know, maximum deposit $1,000 or $3,000 mm-hmm. or something. And so they'll have normal CDs at 5% or 55 or whatever the number is on larger amounts of money. But they have, like you said, it's kind of a come on rate or a um, basically trying to bait people into to doing business, but with these huge interest rates. So yeah, normal interest rates are not that high yet. Um, you know, I say yet because I'm not sure, you know, where we're going to stop here. But I think you can still get pretty good interest. I mean, 5% on money you can't lose and that is easy to do and a lot of times liquid. That's a pretty good rate. I think there's a lot of people that are content with that rate. And certainly if we see it go up to six, you know, you have to wonder how many people will be pulling out of the market to take yeah. advantage of cash. Yeah, I was going to say, when you look at what other investments may pay, 5 and 6%, that's not really terribly bad at all, is it? No, I don't think so. And, you know, it's it's nice to have that. I will say that if we look over history at cash and cash equivalents, when we had times like in the 80s where cash was paying a lot of money again, 
you know, the market was actually doing even better. And so historically, that's kind of how it works. So we don't want to be lured into making this 5% and thinking that's, you know, all there is, because I do think the cash is trash time is probably coming again. But right now, mm-hmm. it feels pretty good. And we always talk about the pros and cons of any investment, Jake, and obviously the pros are, you know, that 5 and 6% that uh, we just talked about. What are some of the cons of investing uh, cash like this at these rates? You know, there's not a whole lot of cons, right? Because it's liquid and it's safe. I'd say the only cons are that you're totally at the mercy of what current interest rates are. So if interest rates start to go back down, so will your rate. And so because you're not locking it in, you're we're a little at the mercy of that. But that's I don't know how big a con that is. That's that is a con, but not, uh, you know, most of them are just pros when it comes to cash right now. We're talking about five passive income strategies for investors to understand. First one is cash and cash equivalents. Let's move on now to the next one. Jake, what is that? So bonds is number two. So a bond is basically debt. So let's say that in this case, it's from the government. So you say, hey, the government wants to borrow money from us. We give them $100. They make interest payments for whatever the term is between one month and 30 years. And then at the end of the term, they give the money back. And so it's a way that either a government or a municipality or a company can borrow money at an interest rate. And so, again, relatively little to do here, but there is more research and more interest rate sensitivity when it comes to bonds, because if you're locked into those bonds uh, and you want to sell them at some point, the value of those bonds can fluctuate based on interest rates. And so this is where you start to get into a little bit more... um, area where you could probably use some expertise because if you if you're buying those that bought really long-term dated bonds when interest rates were low kind of got their head handed to them last year Um, in fact if you're in long bonds some of the long bonds were down 20 and 30 percent in what people most of the time perceive to be a safe investment now again if you hold it to maturity you'll get that money back but if you bought a 20-year bond you may or may not be ready to hold it to maturity so you know, bonds can be a very good investment and they're looking more attractive now than they have in a long time because interest rates are higher. And if interest rates go down, then, you know, there can be some money to be made. But, you know, bonds in general are a major asset class. In fact, a lot of people don't know that it's actually a larger market than the stock market. Right. And there's a lot of things there to do, especially for retirees uh, looking for income. So we've talked about cash and cash equivalents. Of course, we've just talked about bonds. The next one is dividend stocks. Tell me more about those. Yeah, so uh, stocks sometimes pay a dividend. A dividend is where we return cash to the shareholders. So think of it like if you own the business, which you do, you own a slice of the business if you own stock, then you would be entitled to the profits of that. And so one way to return the profits to the people who own it is through a dividend where they make you a, a payment in cash. So they'll pay it into your account if you hold money at a brokerage firm or if you have physical shares still, which a few people do, they'll mail you a check for that. But dividend stocks can be a little bit of a trap if you're not careful because there are companies out there paying 10 and 15 and 20% in dividends. The problem with that is if they're making 5% in profit and they're roped into paying you a 15% dividend, they Mm -hmm. must liquidate assets or sell off part of their business or borrow money to pay you your dividend. And that can be a very slippery slope, as you could imagine. But having a stock paying, you know, three, four, five percent dividend is is possible. If you start getting into the double digits, is where you you really should be having some a few red flags, probably. But you know, dividend stocks tend to be less volatile, you know, as a rule. Not always, but as a rule, they're less volatile than non-dividend paying stocks because 
tech companies are, are pretty notorious for paying either very small dividends or no dividends. Probably something worth mentioning here is stocks that buy back their shares too. While that does not pay income, that's another way to have shareholders get capital returned to them as owners. And so that's that's another thing we can look at where basically companies will buy back their stock. So if they have a million shares outstanding, instead of paying a dividend, they can say, hey, let's just buy back 100,000 shares. So now I only have 900,000 shares outstanding, which means each share is then worth you know roughly 10% more than it was before. So that's one way to also return capital there. Dividend stocks, another form of passive income. The next one, Jake, is Real Estate Investment Trust. Most people know these as REITs. Can you explain more about these? So if you're a longtime listener of Show Me the Money, uh, you'll know that uh, Randy and I are not uh, not super big on, on REITs. So real estate investment trusts in, in and of themselves are not bad investments. However, there tends to be many, many layers of people getting paid out of your money. So the basic idea is that people pool their money together and you go buy an office complex or a data storage unit or an apartment complex, right? And then you rent it out and the, the rent gets paid and it filters its way back to the investors. The idea is to set this up at 10 or 12%. The problem is, is by the time you pay the people to package the investment, you pay the agents to solicit it, mm-hmm. you then pay the property manager, you pay them to build it, you pay the people to clean around the place, you pay the landscaping guy, right? At the, you know, There's so many people getting paid before you get paid that the reality of the REIT is not as good usually, in my opinion, as the idea of the REIT. And so, whereas there should be somewhere between 10 and 12% return on a lot of these, mm-hmm. it usually ends up being more like five or six. And you have very serious liquidity concerns with real estate investment trusts because most of them are totally illiquid during the period that they are waiting before they sell it off. So, usually seven to 10 years in a REIT is pretty common uh, as far as having basically no liquidity other than your income payments. So when it comes to REITs, we just really need to be very careful and make sure that we understand what we're getting ourselves into because of the liquidity concerns, but they can be a source of income payments. So those are REITs, Jake. Let's uh, move on to the final one here, which also involves real estate, and that is rental property. Yeah, so rental property um, can be a very good source of income as I have a lot of clients and there's a lot of people that are landlords and own one rental property all the way up to 50 or more. So obviously you can make some pretty good money. You can have some pretty good income there. Uh, You can also use those income payments to purchase more rental properties and that kind of thing. The big problem that I have with it is it's, I don't know that I would call it passive, Hmm. you know? And so in this segment, we're talking about passive income strategies. I think you can make it fairly passive by hiring a company to do the maintenance and to, you know, make sure you get paid and all that kind of thing, but you are going to pay pretty dearly for that service. Um, Most people don't want to have to actually manage a rental property in retirement because it looks a lot like working. And right. if you're going to retire, then uh, you, you don't probably want don't want a, want a second <laughs> job, right? And so, no. you know, some people find renting a property to be much easier than others. Personally, it's not for me. I don't like the idea of not knowing what's going on in my property and mm-hmm. uh, having to worry about it day and night and whether the sink's going to break or the pipe's going to freeze or what, you know, what I'm going to walk into the next time. But I think generally speaking, if you have good renters, it, it's, it can be a good arrangement. But again, how passive it is, is going to determine on how big an income payment you're looking for. And if you hire that out, you know, that still doesn't 
totally get you off the hook from a work standpoint. So we'll, we'll kind of give this one a, a semi-passive income. <laughs> but um, again, returns can be good on rental property, but there's a lot of things to consider, such as the cost of upkeeping that taxes insurance. It's not quite as good as it looks after we subtract everything that comes out before the money hits the bottom line. Yeah. And I think most people overestimate what they're making with their rental properties too, because, you know, even if you are having a management company manage the property for you, you're still going to get those calls from the management company saying, hey, you know, the water heater broke or something else broke or tenant moved out in the middle of the night, needs a new roof, that sort of thing. So when you figure all that in, it's not really uh, all is cracked up to be. And if you do want another job, getting a a piece of rental property may be for you, but I think for most people, (laughs) (laughs) this is not the case because the topic here is passive income strategies for investors to understand. Of course, we've talked about cash cash equivalents. We have talked about bonds. We've talked about dividend stocks, real estate investment trusts, and also real estate. If you've got questions about passive income and whether or not it may fit into your portfolio, again, we invite you to call Floyd Financial Group and request your complimentary retirement review. Just a friendly conversation between you and Jake or Randy that'll cover a wide range of topics based on your individual situation. No cost, no obligation whatsoever for this chat with Randy or Jake there at Floyd Financial Group. It probably will take maybe about an hour for this first consultation, but it could be the best time investment that you'll ever make. Now, that number to call, and you can call it this weekend if you want, 417-889-7233. 417-889-7233. You'll get a call back from Ashley, who will gather some basic information and set you up with a conversation with Randy or Jake. And remember, it's a no-tie zone. It's just a casual conversation. Randy and Jake will meet you where you are. Once again, 417-889-7233. You can also request your complimentary plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. That's floydfinancialgroup.com. We're back with your financial catch of the day, and it's a big one. Here's more Show Me the Money Radio with your hosts, Jake Floyd and Jeff Shane. Welcome back to Show Me the Money. I'm Jake Floyd, and in this segment, we're going to be talking about something that I get asked quite a few questions about each week, which is annuities. Are they good, bad, ugly? And we're just going to talk about the different types of annuities and what they can or cannot do. And Jake, this is one of those topics where people really have a lot of misunderstandings about annuities. We hear people that hate them. We hear people that say they're the greatest thing since sliced breads. But I want to really sort of break it down in this segment and cover the uh, different types of annuities. Now, basically, there are roughly four of them. So where do you want to start with this? What's the first one? Yeah, so I think it's important to understand that uh, annuities, like a lot of things, you know, there's good ones and there's bad ones. We certainly do not just say all annuities are good or all annuities are bad. In fact, I would say most annuities are probably not appropriate for people, but there are a handful of annuities that are worth looking at that can offer some protection as well as some upside. The first type of annuity we'll talk about is a MIGA or a fixed annuity. And so the MIGA is basically stands for multi-year guarantee annuity, but it works kind of like like a CD where we say, hey, let's set up a five-year CD. I get X amount of interest and then I get my money back at the end. That's the same way a fixed annuity works. So it has a term somewhere between one and 10 years usually. And to say, hey, I'm going to pay you 5% interest for five years. And at the end of the term, uh, you get your money back. And so because of the way insurance companies work, we can get a little bit better rates usually on annuities than we can straight from the bank on CDs. We can also, in today's world, get a longer rate lock-in than we can at the bank. Because if you try to go get like a five-year CD right now, uh, a lot of them are paying 1% or 2%, even though you can get 
on a three-month CD, you can get five and a half. You know, you can't lock that rate in as long as a lot of people would like to. So one way to do that is in a multi-year guarantee annuity. Some of those are paying upwards of 6%. We need to be a little careful, and we'll talk about this more in the fourth segment, but need to be a little careful what company we're using just to make sure that, you know, they're a good company and they're, you know, solid and that kind of thing. But multi-year guarantee annuities can be appropriate, but usually you don't make quite as much money as you would in some of the other types of annuities. So that's the downside is that you can't make as much money as you can with other types of annuities. Is this an annuity where you just simply can't run out of money for the rest of your life? So usually in this type of annuity, again, this is just a basic CD type annuity. So that's not really the type of annuity we're talking about here. This particular annuity is just going to pay an interest rate for a given period of time. The next type of annuity is called an immediate annuity or sometimes called a single premium immediate annuity or a SPIA. And so what that means is think of this like a pension. Okay. So all pensions are funded with annuities. So if you're a teacher or, you know, some kind of labor worker or whatever, and you have a pension, what they did is they piled up a bunch of money and then they dumped it into a single premium immediate annuity. And that's how you ended up with your income payments. And so you can do this yourself. You do not have to have a pension to do it, but we put money in, it pays out income for either your lifetime or a certain period that we discuss ahead of time. And it can be set up with survivor benefits or not. There's a lot of ways to set it up, but the, the big issue with it is that we cannot change it once we have set it up. So we don't really do very many of these unless there's a really good reason to do it, such as uh, you already have a highly appreciated annuity that we want to take advantage of, like the exclusion ratio where we can have tax advantages. But short of that, there's really not a lot of reasons to do it because we don't like to do things that are irrevocable if we mm-hmm. can find another way to do it because things change in life, you know, and we don't want to give away that lump sum of money for the income payment if we can. Uh, What we'd rather do is make a good return and still have the money and get the income. And so we'll talk about that, you know, uh, if and when you come in. But that's the second type is the immediate annuity. Okay, Jake, so that is a MIGA, that is a SPIA, and the next one is going to be a variable annuity. Is that what they're talking about when they say, I hate annuities and you should too? You know, if I were to say that comment, that's probably what I'd be talking about. So variable annuities are basically mutual funds wrapped in an annuity wrapper to give tax deferral. And so these became popular in the 80s late 70s and uh, early 80s when, you know, Mr. Carter had the max tax bracket at 90% and all that kind of stuff. They became popular because it didn't matter how much you're paying in fees or what your performance was if you were saving 60, 70, 80% on taxes, right? And so people were dumping money in here. And the biggest issue with a variable annuity is we do get tax deferral, but it costs so much money to own most variable annuities. Um, The average variable annuity a few years ago was like 3.68% per year to own. So that's a lot of fees. That means if you know if your market return is 10%, you know, you end up with 6 and some change. If the market is down 10%, then you're down 13% and some change, right? So it's very hard to make money there uh, over the long haul with that huge weight that you have to carry around. And so we're not big on traditional var- variable annuities and just simply because the cost is usually prohibitive. So when people say that they hate these annuities, really what they're saying is they is that they hate the fees involved with them. I've heard that variable annuities really the biggest rub is that you have excessive fees 
Yeah, I would say that that's one rub. Um, the other rub is I think a lot of people believe that they have protection there and they're basically, again, in mutual funds or what we call sub-accounts, but they're run by mutual fund companies. So there tends to be more risk there than a lot of people perceive based on the way they're sold. But yeah, the basic idea is we trade huge fees for tax deferral. Otherwise, it's kind of like being in the market. So, Jake, we talked about three types of annuities here. The fourth one I want to talk about is sort of a hybrid of all of these. Can you explain more about that? Yeah. So the fourth category is what we call hybrids, which kind of encompasses several different types of annuities, uh, whether we're talking about RILAs or FIAs. And so I'll explain kind of what those are. The most common one out there is the fixed index annuity, which what that does is it provides principal protection, meaning you can't lose money but you have gains linked to an index like the S&P 500 or, uh, or some other indexes out there. And so it, you get a little bit of uh, the best of both worlds where we can get gains linked to something that has very good historical returns, but we don't have to actually put our money at risk. Now, most fixed index annuities are not good because they simply do not give us enough upside for the principal protection. However, there are some that, that can provide very good returns long-term uh, while providing that principal protection, but we do give up a little bit of liquidity anytime that we're buying an annuity. So even in the, the MIGAs and the SPIAs, we give up all the liquidity. In the MIGAs, we give up some. We can usually have 10% out or at least the interest out during the term. Variable annuities, again, we can usually have 10% out during the term. You know, which is usually six or seven years. And then a fixed indexed annuity, a lot of times those are seven to 10 years as well. We get 10% per year that we can take out in a free withdrawal. But we are giving up some liquidity in exchange for growth and safety. So there's basically three components to an investment or an investor or what they need, which is growth, safety. Everybody needs a certain amount of safety and everybody needs a certain amount of liquidity, meaning they have to be able to get to that money. And so depending on how much you need of which one, a fixed indexed annuity could be appropriate because it can provide quite a bit of safety while still having good growth potential, but we do give up a little liquidity to do that. So sometimes that's appropriate, sometimes that's not. One of the other types of annuities that we'll talk about is um, a RILA, so okay. a registered index linked annuity. And so this has kind of become a little more popular recently. These came out in about 2006, where it's a little bit of a hybrid, actually, of the hybrid. So it's kind of like the fixed index annuity, and it's kind of like the variable annuity, where we can lose some money, but we get a bigger portion of the gains. So like, for example, there's one right now where we can have a 20% buffer, meaning the first 20% of any losses of an index we don't take. So if the market goes down 10, we're down zero. If the market goes down 20, we're still down zero because we have a 20% buffer. If the market goes down 25, then we're down five, right? Because that's how far the buffer is. And so that first 20% we don't take, but in exchange, we have to we have to give up a little bit of the upside, but we still get the lion's share of that. So that's another idea that's out there that you know we can explain in more detail when you come in for your consultation. But when it comes to annuities, you know most of them, I would actually agree with a lot of people out there in saying that they're not very good. Um, there are some annuities in each of those categories worth considering, but you really need somebody who is well-versed, who's paying attention and understands all these products and all the minutiae to make sure they can explain it to you before you consider buying one. So Jake, there are pros and cons to every type of annuity and annuities to me on the surface sound pretty good, but what are some reasons that someone may not want an annuity in their portfolio? When is it not a right choice for them? 
You know, Jeff, there's several reasons why you may not want an annuity, but probably the biggest one is the liquidity factor, right? Mm -hmm. We need to make sure that we don't put too much money into an annuity because there are limitations on how much you can get out of those annuities each year that you own one. And so that's really where it comes, you know, you really need to understand what you're getting and why we would sacrifice that liquidity, right? If we get good safety and good growth, it may be worth doing that on a portion of the money, but we certainly don't want to do it with all the money or even, you know, 80 or 90% of the money, because then you're going to not have enough liquidity to do the things that you want to do through and in, in retirement. So I'd say liquidity is probably the biggest one, but there are some other reasons like, you know, you're not going to ever get all of the market gain in an annuity in a good year, right? And so we're going to sacrifice some of the upside, but depending on which one we get, we can get, you know, the lion's share of it. But, you know, again, the liquidity factor is usually the reason why if people don't buy one, that's usually why. And annuities, Jake, that is one of those topics that I think is very misunderstood. And people really, as I said, you know, it's sort of a polarizing thing. Annuities, do you love them? Do you hate them? Well, I guess it depends. It depends upon your individual situation and what you want to use them for. And I'm sure based on our conversation here, Jake, that our listeners may have some questions about annuities and whether or not they're right for their portfolio. If you'd like to get in and sit down with uh, Randy or Jake and talk about annuities or actually any aspect of your portfolio, then we highly encourage you to call 417-889-7233 and ask for your Floyd Financial Group Retirement Review. No cost, no obligation for this review, just a friendly conversation between you and Jake and or Randy to create a path to get to a retirement which you not only survive, but you thrive. Are annuities right for you? Well, it depends. We'll get those questions answered for you when you call 417-889-7233. You can also request your complimentary no-cost no obligation plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. It's floydfinancialgroup.com. People of the Ozarks, step away from the fishing pole and prepare to be shown the money because we're back with more straight talk and honest answers with Jake Floyd and Jeff Shade. Welcome back to Show Me the Money. I'm Jake Floyd, and in this segment, now that we've talked about what annuities are and the different types of annuities, we're going to talk about seven common annuity mistakes to avoid. And Jake, I think there at Floyd Financial Group, you and Randy really do have sort of a safety chain on people to help them avoid these annuity mistakes, whereas some other advisors may let you walk right up that hole and fall into the hole, because if you fall into the hole, that means that they make money. But there are seven common annuity mistakes that you can help people prevent. So let's start with number Number one, I would imagine that it's just taking the entire bankroll and throwing it into an annuity. Right. So putting too much money in an annuity is definitely the number one mistake. Um, so there's there's a lot of people, and again, you know, when an advisor sells an annuity, there's usually a commission involved. And so sometimes, especially when you have advisors that are not licensed to sell other securities and things like that, where they're just insurance agents, a lot of them want to stuff as much money into that annuity as possible because that's what determines how much they get paid. Sure. And so because of that, there have been situations where we see people with, you know, 80, plus percent of their money in these annuities. And, and that's really just too much because when you're in retirement, you need to be able to have flexibility because you're now, you know, you, you're limited on income based on, you know, the assets you have and whatever other passive income that you have, social security, pension, whatever it may be. But there's no way for you to go out and get more income by working in a lot of cases, or even if you could, you probably don't want to. So 
what we need to do is make sure you have enough liquidity. You know, any retirement plan is a balancing act. We mm -hmm. need to balance between how much growth we need, how much safety we need, and how much liquidity we need. There is no one investment that gives you all three of those things well. And so we need to have a balanced approach to how we look at a retirement plan to make sure that we have enough liquidity for those rainy days and to get you your income but enough safety to where we can remain invested when things are tough so that we can have the growth over the long term. And so when we put plans together, that's kind of what we're focused on. We want to be able to use anything in the retirement universe, if we can, from, a, from an investment standpoint, whether it's gold or insurance or annuities or stocks, bonds, whatever it may be, you know, we can use all those things. But what we want to do is use what's appropriate for each situation. And so absolutely putting too much money in an annuity is a huge problem and probably the number one mistake to not make. And an annuity is just a tool. It's one of the many tools in the toolbox, but it shouldn't be the tool. It is just part of your investment portfolio. And as you said, I mean, that is one of the biggest mistakes that people make, I think, is putting all of their money, or at least most of their money, into an annuity. Let's go on to the second one. The second one would be picking the wrong type of payout. Yeah, so this is kind of referencing those SPIAs, the immediate annuity. So if you have an immediate annuity, you can pay out over your lifetime. So let's say you put in $100,000 and it's going to pay you $500 a month for the rest of your life. Once you deposit that money, that $100,000 is gone and you have $500 per month for the rest of your life. We can set that up with survivor benefits or we can set it up where we say, hey, it's lifetime, meaning it pays over your life, but it's life with period certain mm -hmm. of 10 years, let's say, where it says, hey, we get it for a lifetime, but we make sure it pays out for at least 10 years, no matter what happens, even if you pass away tomorrow. So there's a lot of different ways to do that, depending on the situation is going to determine which one we should choose or if a SPIA is even appropriate for you at all. But you know, picking the life only option, if your spouse, for example, needs and relies on that income could be a huge mistake because if something happens to you earlier on, then she would be, he or she, the spouse would be left without that money. And so, yeah, making sure we get the right payout uh, is definitely a, a good one. And as you mentioned, survivor benefits, I mean, that is something that is really, really important. You can get them with uh, pensions. Of course, Social Security has that too. So picking the wrong payout is a big annuity mistake that people may make. Next one on the list here, not comparing payout amounts. Yeah, so sometimes people just say, hey, I want it for life, and whatever happens, happens. So this is a big one like on pensions where you have teachers or people, maybe you work at city utilities or somewhere that has a, a sizable pension. For those that have done that, you know that when you get to elect that pension, you get to choose how much of that goes to survivor benefits, meaning to your spouse, whether it's 50%, 75%, or 100% survivor. So some people don't even really look at those numbers, and they're just like, hey, I want the biggest one, so I'm just doing my life-only payout. And so depending on how much you have to sacrifice for that survivor benefit really determines whether it's worth it or not. Because if that sacrifice is large, meaning to get a 50% survivor, let's say you have a $3,000 a month pension or on an immediate annuity or however you want to look at it. And if you choose a 50% survivor, it goes down to 2000 that would be a huge hit. So there's strategies that we could do, such as buying life insurance on you to make whole the spouse in the event of an early demise, where it might make sense to get the higher payout, but buy that life insurance as protection, as opposed to just taking so much less in income. But sometimes it's very little, where it may be like 3000 for single life, but 2900 for joint life. You know, and obviously in that case, it's kind of a no-brainer to choose the joint life. And so comparing those options, you know, we need to make sure we compare them. Not comparing them would definitely be a, a mistake. 
We're talking about common annuity mistakes and how to avoid them with Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. Jake, our next one is switching to another annuity and giving up valuable guarantees. Yeah, so certain annuities can have what what are called living benefits. So maybe that's a death benefit rider, meaning you get a certain amount of increase as a death benefit no matter what happens, or an income rider where it says, hey, you get a certain amount of growth for income purposes only no matter what happens in, in, the, in the investment. Sometimes we, by switching to a different annuity, we give up those guarantees that you have in there. And so... There may be a situation where you have $100,000 in an annuity, but you have a $250,000 income value, meaning that that's the value you can use to pull income from. So that would definitely be a mistake to switch if you're looking to pay out lifetime income because you would be giving up that huge gap where you have a much larger income payment than you could get with 100000 and by switching, you would you would give that up. So that's, that's what we're talking about here, and that would definitely be a mistake to not pay attention to what we're doing there. We need to make sure that each situation is appropriate if we're going to replace an annuity ever. And, and again, this is another situation where some advisors are a little bit too excited to replace annuities. And, you know, we need to make sure there's absolutely reasons to replace annuities. Sometimes after, especially in fixed index annuities, sometimes after they're issued companies for various reasons, lower rates and things like that, where your potential isn't quite as high. So there's definitely reasons to replace them, but we just need to make sure we know what and if we're giving something up and you know what we're getting in exchange and make sure that's a good deal for uh, you the client and uh, you the investor jake the next common annuity mistake that i want to talk about is withdrawing too much money does this apply to variable annuities so this applies to every investment ever okay <laughs> as, as well as annuities but you know Probably the number one thing that determines your success in retirement, meaning are you able to stay retired and have the income that you want for the rest of your life, is whether you're withdrawing too much money. You know, taking out, you know, 5% or 6% at the high end can be uh, reasonable. But if we start taking out 7 and 8 and 9% out of a retirement plan, out of retirement assets, that's just too much money and you're going to spend that money down. Now, that if that's okay with you, then that's fine. But most people want their money to last as long as they do. And if we're going to do that, then not withdrawing too much money, whether it's an annuity or a stock account or whatever it is, is probably the number one thing to keep an eye on. If we don't take too much money out, then your danger of running out of money goes down drastically. Common annuity mistakes and how to avoid them. And Jake, the last one here is ignoring the insurer's financial strength rating, vetting these annuities. Yeah, so sometimes, Jeff, people come to me and say, hey, why don't you like this annuity? Uh, It pays out all this huge amounts of money. Well, sometimes we have to be careful with the insurer's rating, right? So it it obviously makes sense that um, if we had a company that's paying out 10% every year, no matter what happens in a safe type annuity, obviously they can't make that money to fulfill that obligation, which means their financial strength is going to be hurt by that. So we always want to make sure that we're using insurance companies when it comes to annuities that are solid, that have been around a long time, have a good positive outlook as far as their financial strength that they get rated by these companies. 
and just make sure that we understand the company, who they are, and you know how they do business before we choose to trust them with some of your retirement assets. So not all companies are the same, and, and there are definitely big differences in financial strengths. And so we want a good, solid company that pays you, the client, good amounts of money, but not too much because it's a balance, right? If they pay you too much, then that can hurt their strength. And so financial strength is definitely something that, you know, if you come to us, you know, there's a lot of carriers we won't even consider simply because of their financial strength. And so making sure you understand uh, how that works works and what gets looked at, or at least your financial advisor is doing that on your behalf, uh, is definitely very important. We're talking about seven common annuity mistakes and how to avoid them with Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. And if you're just joining us, you have missed a great show today. Our show, of course, is called Show Me the Money with Jake and Randy Floyd. And of course, my name is Jeff Shade. We've just finished discussing annuities in the last couple of segments here. If you want to hear the show again, don't worry. We're also a podcast. Just go to wherever you get your podcast and you can search for Show Me the Money with Jake and Randy Floyd. You're going to find this show and all of our past shows so you can stay on top of your wealth and your journey towards a successful retirement. Jake, this has been an interesting show today. We have covered a lot of ground, and I really wish we could continue to talk, but unfortunately, we are out of time for this week. And before we go, once again, I want to remind listeners that if you'd like to get in and sit down with Jake and Randy Floyd there at Floyd Financial Group and get your no-cost, no-obligation Floyd Financial Group Retirement Review, that number to call 417-889-7233. No cost, no obligation, 417-889-7233. You can also request it online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Well, Jake, they're showing us out of here right now. I want to thank you, of course, for your time again. But most importantly, I want to thank our fine listeners here in the last bastion of sanity, Springfield, Missouri, for joining us. For Jake Floyd, I'm Jeff Shade. Have a great weekend in this great part of the country that we live in. We'll talk again next week with another edition of Show Me the Money right here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. The information provided in the preceding program is for educational purposes only and are not intended as investment advice for any individual or entity. All information contained herein believed to be from reliable sources, however, we make no representations as to its completeness or accuracy. The opinions expressed are subject to change without notice and do not constitute financial, legal, or tax advice. Please consult your financial professional before executing any financial strategy. Financial planning offered through Floyd Financial Group, LLC, an investment advisor registered in the state of Missouri.